Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the video cast where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world. And we're currently uh, traveling around uh, northern Philippines, uh, exploring this beautiful part of uh, the Philippines. It's called Vigan. And unfortunately, in this area, we don't have the best Wi-Fi connection possible. So apologies in advance for any Wi-Fi hiccups, lags, or delays. But hey, this is all part of the Digital Nomad journey. So in today's episode, we have a very special guest who's joining us from Vietnam. And uh, he's actually originally from the UK, just outside of London, and he's been traveling around the world. Uh, he did a working holiday a visa out in Australia, and now he's uh, exploring Vietnam, and of course, teaching English and working at the same time. So uh, super excited to invite up our guest today. His, not, his name is Ross uh, Simons, and he's gonna be sharing some tips, advice, and strategies on how you too can travel the world as an ESL teacher or even as a working holiday visa um, strategy as well. So Ross, uh, how are you doing there in beautiful Vietnam today? Slightly less tired than last night. Yesterday and the day before was pretty busy. Well, welcome to the show, and apologies, we might have some uh, Wi-Fi issues here, but hey, this is all part of the journey as a digital nomad. So, Ross, uh, why don't we get to know you a little bit better? Why don't you share a little bit about your background? You're from, uh, you know, England. Tell us about what you were doing there. What made you leave the United Kingdom to travel the world? Tell us a little bit of your backstory. So, I left England in my parents' disapproval, I f flew on 9-11, I'm adamant it's probably flying now, and spent a year in England on the east and north coast. Uh, crazy long and ended up living in a mining town for a while just working at a pub the Australian awesome and after Australia you know traveled around went to Bali in Indonesia Assaulted, didn't really enjoy it. Went to Borneo, Tangs, fantastic. And then so went to like southern Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, did some of the war tourism. You know, that was really brutal, you know, a very powerful form of education. And then got a 28-hour bus from Vietnam to Kapilau to Hanoi. And after a few not-so-ideal months, I ended up working for a really good company in Vietnam. And a year later, I'm still teaching with them. 
Awesome. So, uh, you know, we'd love to uh, hear a little bit of the back background and requirements. So to be an ESL teacher in different parts of the world, uh, there are different requirements. If you're in Japan or Korea or China or Taiwan or Middle East or Latin America, how is it like in Vietnam to be a teacher? What are the requirements for teachers? Warn me as the about Vietnam and you know, other Southeast Asian countries is you know, a lot of people work cash in hand under the radar. Obviously, it's illegal, but it's an open secret. Teachers, schools, police, government, they're all in on it. And Honestly, one day the government will you know, claim to be clamping down on it and claim it's really illegal. But, you know, you kind of suspect the government only cares when they get money. Um, but if you do go down more legal route to have a university degree the degree can be an absolutely anything that's irrelevant um you'll need to have a careful certificate a online certificate is sufficient um and yeah you need a police check which you can get once in vietnam my employer up for me. You need a health check, which again my employer just sorted for me in Vietnam. You'll need to get your degree and your certificate notarized. I'm not going to try it over sort of webcam. That's something people will have to by nationality and also you know, embassies always changing their rules authorized a year ago or 18 months ago in the UK embassy in Hanoi but since I did it the embassy in Hanoi has cut down on services uh, so in terms of Asian, that's something people have to sort of read up on in their own time. And I guess after reality, the biggest requirement for these teaching jobs is you just have to know how to teach. You always care about whatever fancy qualifications or experience you have. They just care about you know your ability to teach, your ability to teach kids, your ability to make kids have fun. Um, and you know, if kids are bored, if parents are complaining, then you know, you're going to lose your job fairly quickly. So yeah, I think you know, they're the main requirement.
Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Ross. So I'd love to hear a little bit about the logistics and the practicalities of teaching. So, uh, you know, seven day work week, uh, how many days a week are you working? How many hours each day? How many students in the classroom? How much preparation do you need to do? Walk us through the logistics of actually being a teacher. Uh, branches are closed on Monday. And then every teacher gets one other day off in the week. In our language centres are quite big, and language centres operate in the evenings and at the weekends. You know, language centres is a form of education. You know, the language centres are open when the sort of public schools are closed. And a company. We have interactive smart boards in the classrooms and we get provided with quite a decent plan syllabus. And yeah, I, I guess, yeah, well, I, I like to you know, always try and do some preparation for a class who is on top of you know, this existing lesson plan. You know, the preparation I do is going over the lesson plan. If some bits of it are just a bit dull or seeing if some bits of it just won't work with my specific class. And then you know, working out how to liven up the lesson plan, working out how to sort of introduce a game better or YouTube and you know, finding some dramatic, exciting videos, you know, whether it's sort of Red Bull sports videos or videos of natural just something to excite the kids. And um, in my classes, there will just be a maximum of 16 kids. At some of these, Public school, you can have 45, possibly even more kids in a classroom. And before I was working at a public high school in North Vietnam, and I just found it rubbish. Yeah, you just kids, clearly 40 of them just did not care about learning English. Yeah. The, of assisting or teaching and yeah I think the kids found me boring and I tell it stressful really and the other issue at the high school was you know there's 45 kids and I was seeing for 45 minutes a week I was never going to get to their names, likes, their quirks. But with my existing employer, when you've got smaller classes, you, know, you can get to know them as people rather than purely just a student who you like each once a week.
So Ross, I'm curious to know about the pay, uh, you know, like in terms of the salary, is it uh, hourly pay? Is it weekly pay? Is it monthly? Is it annual? Uh, tell us about what are the different options and roughly how much can someone expect to be a ESL teacher in Vietnam? Uh, the, the pay conversation always surprises my friends uh, because you, know, you tell people you're working in Southeast Asia. I think some people have such a backwards image of Southeast Asia, you know, and meeting you know, mud huts. And I think you know, some people anticipate me almost just doing like hand to mouth. And it's just not true. I think I calculate yearly bonuses, after tax, after rent. I was probably making $20 an hour. And, you know, that's after rent and after tax. And, you know, So living costs worth and England well and West and the Western world. So, you know, that money goes far, far here. Um you know like you can enjoy yourself day to day but also save up on hay and you know bike trips around the country and then during Tet, which is the Vietnamese of Chinese you can to Cambodia or Philippines or Malaysia. So, like, I've yeah, a dozen different teachers have told me that pay is substantially A few teachers have also said the same thing about Cambodia. So, I think. You know, within Vietnam, Han country. Yeah, like and if you're in a place like Japan, it'll definitely definitely be higher. Place up. You know, naturally salaries are higher in South Korea and Japan are living costs, and then you can make some. Crazy money in the East. But obviously, you know, rights can be very restricted in the Middle East. So, this, uh, these two people I was working with in Vietnam, they're they weren't married, but they'd been in a relationship for a long time. And they had teaching in the Middle East because they had already got like loads of previous teaching experience from back home. But they said, yeah. um, you know, because they weren't married. And I think they in countries that may just be a bit too much of a pressure cooker for them.
So Ross, I'm curious to know about how is it actually living, working, uh, you know, the day-to-day life, day life in Vietnam uh, in terms of eating, transport. Uh, what do you like and what don't you like as much? What are the pros and the cons of actually living as an expat in Vietnam? So for such a small country, Yes, you know, Australia, US, China, you know, Vietnam's a small country. So, for a fairly small country, yeah, it has a diverse. You've got sand dunes in South Vietnam. What's the name? M-U-R-N-E. I dare not try and pronounce it. And in North Vietnam, you have sort of Halong Bay, you know, in Trips. You have Sapa, in, infamous for the trekking, and then you've got Phong Nga uh, in central Vietnam. So Phong Nga has the biggest cave in the world, and it also has quite a few other caves in the top list. And oh. Uh, uh, I was surprised when I visited you know, it's home to the biggest caves in the world. Still relatively unknown. Um, a major issue in so Ho Chi Minh, the pollution in Hanoi is you know, many times worse Paris. Um, and reacting with Vietnam is rules are looser, you know, regarding driving. You know, when you're over here, you will see people driving without helmets, driving drunk. Yeah, and then sort yes, and safety and food hygiene. It's all less. So I guess over here you can get away, more, but you also perhaps have to apply more common sense because you can't just rely on a restaurant having some you know hygiene thing. Um. <laughs> So, yes, it's almost a bit of a contradiction. Let, you, know, you, you can let your hair down more, but at the same time, you perhaps have to be more wary. And the, like, I've, I've really enjoyed more bike trips. I find some, you know, I find, you know, the, the longer bike trips, it's just, you know, five days, seven days. I find they can be quite grueling. But there's nothing more refreshing than just jumping on your bike or, you know, just letting all the stress like, glide away from your shoulders, taking photos of a mountain, 
having a few beers, sort of grabbing some food and then just heading home. So Ross, uh, you, you know, you've been in uh, Vietnam for about a year now. You've traveled around Australia, Southeast Asia. So I'm curious to know what is your vision forward? Are you planning to stay in Vietnam? Are you planning to uh, teach in another part of the world? Uh, tell us about what your plans are, you know, at the end of 2018 here, but going into 2019, 2020 and beyond. I guess I was always this unspoken that after traveling for a year or 18 months I'd go back to England, settle down in England and job in England, you know, blah 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 but I've been traveling now for sort of nearly three years I just absolutely well, you know, no motivation to sort of just go back to England Like it's something I've been pondering in the last month. How to almost have a more of a sane life outside of England. You know, maybe I involve moving to Japan or trying to teach there. Maybe that involves uh, teaching in Vietnam and or getting I don't know, you know, maybe I can get into blogging, so uh, I, I think I guess you need to back up that plan if dreams don't happen. So, if moment, what's going to happen in the next few years? Well, definitely looking forward to seeing what the future holds for you. Wishing you the best over there. Uh, in conclusion, I want to know your advice or tips for people who want to be ESL teachers. So you've obviously done it and you're doing it currently. Uh, a lot of our listeners and viewers, they're always looking for ways that they can travel the world and make money, either digitally or, uh, or, or virtually or physically in terms of teaching at a real school to real students in person. Uh, so what would be your tips, advice, suggestions, recommendations for people who are considering becoming an ESL teacher in Asia or some other part of the world? Um, the first one is I always recommend getting travel insurance. You know, I know from my time in Vietnam, and a more and one more Pacific to Vietnam is, you know, if you in Vietnam, you have cash. You know, it just happens to everyone. Uh, um, and like, I. A, a lot of my friends, including myself, who ride bikes in Vietnam, um, and a lot of you traveling won't pay out if you have a bike crash in Vietnam or in like South Africa. 
license. You know, they're not concerned about, you know, well, these travel insurance companies license is worthless. You know, the Vietnamese bike license, you get it in two minutes. You, know, you need a, an English bike license, a US license to have coverage when you're on your bikes. And another thing is just contingency fund with you. I've met one or two teachers who travel to the other side of the world and they only have three pounds in their wallet. So from like day one, they're, they're having to be like super, super budgety. It just, you just make stress for yourselves. And it means, you know, if you have any cuts over here, you know, it makes it makes a massive dent in your budget. And it's just self, you know, um, and this is certainly true. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was also true of China and you know, and other sort of Asian countries who also have big festivals. So around the time of Tet, yeah, you won't find you know, so a week, two weeks before Tet, you know, you won't find work. But I find 50 weeks of a year in Vietnam, you will, you will find jobs. Minus two weeks just before you can find work in Vietnam, you know, any time of year. And at first, if you don't succeed, try again. Because I know from my time in Vietnam, I could have two centres run by the same company in the same city, but the two centres can have a completely different. You know, at one centre, the kids can be berserk, like the Vietnamese staff not be helpful, whereas at the other centre, everything is so much more smooth sailing. Uh, and also, you know, before you teach in Vietnam or teach nature or teach anywhere, it's also worth, you know, recommending, well, I'd, I'd also recommend sort of researching days in Australia and, you know, sort of researching Camp America in the US because teaching is fun, you know, working with kids isn't for everyone, standing in front of kids isn't for everyone, you know, like, itself isn't the only path you, which allows you to work abroad. Uh, you know, if you come to these developing countries, like, you know, 
you know, you have to just accept that infrastructure may be more limited. You know, in Vietnam, recycled almost just doesn't exist. And then, you know, when you're walking on pavement, suddenly you can see massive crack mass in the pavement. Um, you know, so pollution in Vietnam, you know, other countries, it can be worse than in the West. And then, you know, you have issues such as corruption. So, you know, I guess the, the flip side to this good opportunity to look at the flip side to all the mountainous terrain in Vietnam, like the future rules, weaker infrastructure, and you know, some, I guess, like the, the, the bad. Great uh, tips, great tips there, Ross. Uh, so in conclusion, if people wanted to find out more about you, maybe they have some follow-up questions that I, have, I wasn't able to cover on this podcast, how can people contact you on social media or email? Or how can they reach out and connect? Um, would it be easy if I, if I send you a link over Facebook? Because I've written a more detailed guide about working in Vietnam. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so uh, Ross will send it over and I'll have the links below. So if you're watching this on YouTube, they'll be right in the YouTube description. If you're listening on iTunes, they'll be right in the show notes. So I'll have all of uh, Ross's contact details. So uh, you'll be able to pick his brain a little bit more and ask him. It's always good to ask someone who's actually doing it, both in terms of the good and the bad, the pros and the cons, the challenges, the struggles, and the benefits. So Ross, uh, you know, I'm glad we're able to connect here. Uh, thanks for being on the show. And I hope we can connect also in real life. We're not too far from each other, Vietnam and Philippines. So who knows when our paths will cross again. I discovered this um, when I flew to, Philipp uh, flew to Philippines. And it's also true of Borneo. We may far from each other. But with all the islands, it's flying a flipping nightmare with long like long, long stopovers like i i probably it probably took me less time to fly from london to singapore <laughs> and from cebu yes yes indeed indeed uh you know whenever you're in an island area you're going to be like stuck with taking buses or boats or flights and they're going to be delays there's going to be typhoons and rainstorms but that's all part of the adventure of travel, right? Uh, to experience how the locals live and uh, to experience some of the most uh, beautiful places in the world. And even, you know, you know obviously going to have the Wi-Fi issues, but it's all part of the frustration and the fun of travel. Uh, so, Ross, uh, thanks again, my friend, and thanks everyone for tuning into this episode. And we'll catch up with you guys in the next one where we teach you how to make money while traveling the world.